So I swam alongside the, the ship and I discovered that the stern of the ship had been blown off. So she was in two complete halves. And I, I remember swimming around the whole length of, of, of this of this minesweeper. And of course then I wanted to go inside. Because the bow being intact, you could actually swim right inside the wreck. And of course when I went in there, um, it was pitch black dark. And it takes a while for your eyes to orientate like going into a dark room when you switch the light off. And uh, it was full of mud, black mud I remember. <laughs> I had a bit of a scare because it was my first dive on the wreck and I started to put my hands into the, into the mud down as far as my elbows and I felt a few things and I pulled something out and there to my horror my heart must have jumped uh, three or four beats because there in front of me would look like a face. Aquanaut my adventures and misadventures in the early days of scuba diving off the Cornish coast. Written and read by me, James Wheeler. Well, as I say, I was born in Cornwall, the early part of the war, and like all Cornish boys, the sea became second nature to us, and most of us could swim before we could walk and uh, I remember my father literally throwing me into the sea when I was a boy and saying swim for it Jim. Cornwall of course being a big peninsula sticking out into the Atlantic Ocean is an amazing place to live if you're interested in the sea and of course boats and yachting and everything else but I took up diving and I started at quite a young age really. Um, it all started when I was only about 10, but uh, I want to touch on a story which, which might help you understand what us boys got up to. Because when I was 13, um, we swam a charity swim from Newlyn Harbour Lighthouse all the way to Penzance Bathing Pool, which was exactly one nautical mile. And we had a be greased up with grease all over our bodies and in our plastic caps, and we were escorted by rowing boats and we swam the mile for a charity. That was quite some feat in the open sea for a 13 year old and the boys with me including my brother John who was five years older. So we weren't afraid of the sea and in fact we loved it. I started doing some underwater uh, diving in well, the early days with snorkeling. I was 10 and I bought a, a snorkel eventually I bought one myself and uh, started snorkeling off for Scully Beach in Newlyn. Fantastic it was there and the, the, the sea life, even looking down from the surface and diving down only 10 feet, gave me the bug, which I think uh, was instrumental in making me take up diving a bit later on. So you have to remember that Cornwall is, as I said, a, a peninsula and it's, it, it has a very long coastline. From the north coastline, right round Land's End to the south coast, there's over 400 miles of coast. And over the centuries, there have been hundreds of shipwrecks on this coastline, and many of which are not, are not recorded in the early days of sail, and many that, which were, of course, and can still be found today if you know where to look. So I thought the next step really had to be 
getting down underneath the water. So I borrowed from a friend a pair of 25 cubic feet air bottles called tadpoles. And we used the, the scuba self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, which had been invented in the early to mid 50s. So the diving time I'm talking about was really pioneer time because there weren't very many people diving with scuba when I started. So my parents were a bit anxious about me um, getting into difficulties, so I decided later on uh, to join the, the British Tobacco Club, which I discovered existed in Penzance. It was one of the early clubs, in fact, and uh, we had some very good instruction from them. The club was well organised with safety measures, all the technicalities on, on what we had on lectures on problems with diving with compressed air, the problems of nitrogen narcosis, the bends, and the problems with air embolisms, and all the hazards of, of diving with scuba, which we had to learn. So I began to join into the training. I passed the training tests in the Penzance bathing pool. I had to learn to dive down underwater and fix the bottles myself at depth and come up again safely. I learned all these things. And so I was getting my certificate to be a qualified third class diver um, very quickly. I took to it, as I said, very easily and very quickly. So then the fun begins and this early introduction I'm giving to you is to give you some idea of how it all began and then of course the adventures began and we realized in the club that Penzance being located in the southwest peninsula of Cornwall with a vast coastline stretching from the Lizard Peninsula to Land's End let alone the north coast which was even even longer and um, and of course the whole coastline of the Cornish coast stretches for about 400 miles. And in those 400 miles, there are well over th thousands of shipwrecks, lost shipwrecks, some recorded, some never really recorded before days of recording shipwrecks started. And so th th there's, there's probably a fortune still waiting for divers to find, even today in 2021, to be found off the Cornish coast. It's a question of finding it, of course. So my story now takes the next stage. I, I've given you an introduction of how I started. Now I want to tell you where it goes from there, especially for me. So I want to talk about two aspects of my exploits. First one, my experiences of club diving with the Penzance Club. There are a grand bunch of, 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 of people from variety, different varieties of life, all walks of life, to doctors, um, teachers, lawyers, all semi-professional and professional people who got interested in diving. And so we were good chums and we knew how to be careful and look after each other to make our diving safe. So I'm going to talk about the club dives I had, which stretched from the Lizard to almost to uh, halfway around to Land's End. 
where we did some wonderful club dives. Just before I get into club diving, I think I make, ought to make a few important points. This, these days were, they were early days, and we, we only had primitive wetsuits, and of course that limited us to how long we could stay in the water, because it was very cold off the Cornish coast. And the other thing I want to mention to you, that uh, when you see these fantastic underwater films on television today, it wasn't like that at all when I started diving. Um, it was cold, the visibility was poor off the Cornish coast, and the Cornish Sea, of course, could be very treacherous, and the coastline very treacherous. So there were always risks. And so when you hear me talking about diving, don't think it's like the wonderful, clear, beautiful visibility you see in the Mediterranean or in the Indian Ocean uh, on these wonderful films you see today. We were, you know, breaking frontiers, uh, going into areas unknown with very primitive kit. I mean the only technology we had were basic um, pressure gauges, depth gauges, which were very inaccurate to be honest with you on our wrists. We had a, 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 an air gauge on our bottles which told us how much air we had left, how much we were using and that all of course varied with depth because the deeper you went the more air was consumed and the more nitrogen was absorbed in the body. So of all these hazards, we had to learn and stick to the rules. I make this point that, you know, we never had sophisticated computer depth gauges and, and watches and, and, and uh, sophisticated breathing apparatus, which they've got today, where they can speak in microphones and masks. If we wanted to talk to a pal underwater, we had, to, we had to come head to head, put each mask to each mask, flat on the face, and then talk. And some, most of the time, the vibration will go through the mask from your, from your partner diver and you can hear what you're saying. But you're actually talking into your mouthpiece, which you're breathing from, not from sophisticated microphones in, in diving gear today. So we had to communicate by hand with hand signals. We had to learn all these different hand signals about stop, go up, go down, um, don't do this, don't do that. We had all these different signals which we had to learn and of course be sure that we follow them to be safe. So bearing that in mind, uh, I remind you again, please don't think that this is talking about modern day diving. I'm talking about a long time ago when diving was in its really infancy. I mean, an example of this new technology, I might add, is that today when divers are, are, are going down different depths, they have a computer on their wrist which calculates not only their time down, not only their depth, but how much decompression they should do and how much, how, how much nitrogen their body is actually absorbing. We never had any of this. So what did we do? Well, we had to make a compromise. We, we used to do British Navy diving tables and they gave diving times in terms of duration and depth at sea. And you could calculate how long you could stay down before you came up and needed to do decompression stops. So we had to calculate that ourselves. And uh, 
later on, when I started semi-professional diving, which I'll talk about later, we found that the Navy ta- British Navy tables were a little bit dodgy. So we borrowed American set of tables, American diving tables, and French diving tables. And we put the three together and, and worked out the mean, literally on a piece of paper. So we got the mean, the means, the mean time down in terms of decompression safety and nitrogen absorption. So we did this by sheer physical calculation, not by digital technology. So there was always a risk that our calculations were wrong and we get into difficulties. And of course, later on in my diving, I did. I'll just give you another example about technology which we had, which was very so basic. When you're diving, you have to remember you're swimming along and you're varying your depth. You could be 100 feet and before you know it, you go down the gully, you're down to 120 feet. And then you're coming up again to 90 feet and you're down to 100 feet again. So you have variable depth as you're swimming along along the seabed. It's not totally flat. And uh, if it was totally flat, you could stay at one depth and calculate more accurately. So we were always taking risks because our, our pressure on our body and the amount of nitrogen and oxygen we were absorbing and using was varying from depth. So we had to bear this in mind in building a safety factor and come up earlier than we perhaps need necessarily do so, just to be safe. Swimming underwater is very tiresome. You're pushing with your flippers, you're pushing very great pressure of water and it's very tiresome on the legs. And con- consequently, your breathing increases. You're intaking more, using more oxygen and air and you're absorbing more nitrogen because you're using all that energy. And so you have to take that into account. And uh, we had pretty basic waterproof watches. Um, mine was so basic it leaked. And... Um, I used to I asked to calculate I had to do a from a hundred and ten feet dive I had to do a a fifteen minute stop at thirty feet, hoping that my depth gauge was accurate enough, and then another ten minutes at fifteen feet before surfacing. So the other fact you've got to bear in mind here is when you're coming up to the surface, you need to have enough air left in your bottles to decompress, otherwise you're going to drown or get decompression sickness and and. Uh, the bends. So all this had to be kept in our minds all the time when we were doing this. And uh, it, it was always an element of risk because it was such primitive diving compared to today. So I want to move on from some of the hazards, I can, I can introduce some, some worse hazards later on. But as I say, we, we learned as we, as we were going. And there's two parts to my diving exploits. The first one I come back to, I started saying just now, about my diving with the Penzance Savaqua Club. That was fascinating. We went to some fascinating dive sites. Um, and I'm, I might add that a lot of that was also diving and exploring the natural fauna under the sea, the, the, the wildlife. I mean, diving with seals and diving with blue sharks around you. 
and with octopus down by your feet. I mean, all these things were all new to me, and it was a wonderful experience being introduced to this this new world of underwater life and sea life. Um, so, but my interest and the club's interest was in two parts. We we have people who were interested in, in the natural fauna and flora of the sea, and others who were fascinated in finding shipwrecks. Well, I got uh, into into the uh, the bug of diving on shipwrecks. I wanted to dive on shipwrecks. This was really something I I, ha I had in mind. I guess I suppose that I might find treasure one day, you know, and, and uh, so that was my my keen interest. And of course, there were hundreds of shipwrecks on the Cornish coast. So my first part of my my exploits was diving on shipwrecks around the Cornish coast with the diving club. I'll give you some examples of that and the, the number of wrecks that we dived on. The second part of my story is really quite different because I changed from becoming an amateur diver to a semi-professional diver. And that made a tremendous difference to my life as a diver and my experiences as a diver. When you were the diving club, you, you, you follow all the safety rules and the most fundamental safety rule which never, was never broken, was you never dive alone. If something goes wrong, you have a buddy who can rescue you or help you and take you to the surface. Or you can use his bar, his, his breathing apparatus to get you up safely if yours packs in. Because our breathing apparatus was quite primitive. And so when I moved to semi professional diving, it opened up a, a completely new approach to diving. And of course, I took tremendous risks and we got into the stage where we started finding wrecks and we started using explosives and getting into real hazardous conditions, which I'll talk about later. It's probably going to be the most exciting time to listen to because uh, we did some absolutely crazy things. And my, my wife told me to give it up because I took so many risks that I might not last it much longer. <laughs> so I gave it up. But so let's just, I'll come back to that and uh, I'll make that quite interesting for you if I can. So what about the wrecks we dived on? So my first club dive, which was really fascinating for me, was actually in, in Mounts Bay and um, it was a lovely lovely sunny Sunday afternoon I went out with the club. Um, the club had dived on it before but this was my first experience of diving on a shipwreck and she was called the, the Royalo and she was a Second World War minesweeper and she was sweeping mines, mines which were obviously in the sea in Penzance Bay and the, the story goes that she swept her mind onto herself and she blew in half and uh, so she's only about 40 to 50 feet and so I went down with the club uh, just to remind you that the club facility was just a sea craft rubber dinghy which would take six maximum six divers and uh, a little sea craft um, dinghy inflatable dinghy and a little outboard motor which was all we have, we never had these sophisticated Johnson motors and Evernwood motors that we get today. And so we had a little seagull motor 
outboard motor, which we motored out to the bay to dive on the Royale. But we knew the marks because there was a green wreck boy marking it. So it's a question of just diving near the boy. And I remember on this Sunday afternoon, the visibility was pretty good. And before before long, you see the outline of the wreck when you're going down. And we dived in pairs. I think there were six of us. And I think I dived with Raymond Dennis that day. I did have it recorded in my logbook, which I've since lost, unfortunately. Anyway, when I got to the Royale, it was a fantastic sight. She was set upright on this on the on the beautiful silver sand. The bow was completely intact, and and it was completely covered in white, uh, such a bright white. I couldn't figure out what it was until I realised it was Dead Man's Fingers, which is a, a sea anemone, which looks exactly like a Dead Man's Fingers. So they attached themselves to the whole bow of the, the Royale, and it was a beautiful sight. So I swam along the side of the, the ship and I discovered that the stern of the ship had been blown off. So she was in two complete halves. And I, I remember swimming around the whole length of, of, of this of this minesweeper. And of course then I wanted to go inside, because the bow being intact, you could actually swim right inside the wreck. And of course when I went in there, um, it was pitch black dark. And it takes a while for your eyes to orientate, like going into a dark room when you switch the light off. And uh, it was full of mud, black mud, I remember. <laughs> but it was scary because it was my first dive on the wreck. And I started to put my hands into the, into the mud down as far as my elbows. And I felt a few things and I pulled something out. And there, to my horror, my heart must have jumped uh, three or four beats because there in front of me it looked like a face. What it actually was, was a gas mask. It was a gas mask which one of the crew must have been using on the boat, on the ship. And it was completely intact, with the two eyes looking at me, two glass eyes looking at me. I looked like a ghost at that moment. And then, and then near that again I found something else. And I was astonished, I actually found one of the sailor's pipe. It was a pipe, which he, which he smoked, and it still had, when I brought it to the surface later, it still had tobacco in it. So this 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 poor guy uh, was blown up and lost and killed on this wreck, and I'd found his pipe, and I thought it was very sentimental to me, and I kept it and gave it to the club, which was in the exhibition uh, room we had in the club with some of our finds we kept them and put them on show. So I bought the gas mask up and this guy's pipe. It was a fascinating dive. Visibility was good. The wreck was surrounded inside and out by by a pouting, which is a, a, a fish about the size of, of a mackerel with stripes on it, black and white stripes. And they would always find them on the wrecks. And uh, they seemed to follow us everywhere. There's so many of them. And it was a beautiful dive. So that introduced me to my first ever wreck dive. I'll tell you the end of that story. It's very interesting because I did several, if not many, dives on Royale after that, because I always found it fascinating. And it was a good evening dive. You could do it in, in a nice summer evening and dive on it. But I found out from later from family that my grandmother, who lived in a Coast Guard house in Penzance, was actually looking out the window and she saw that, that minesweeper, the Royale, be blown in half 
on the very time that it sank. And she, she told that story to my father. And of course he told it to me. So I've been diving on a wreck which my own grandmother had seen blown up and sunk in Mounts Bay. So that was my first ever dive on a, on a shipwreck. Well, my next uh, diving experience on, on a wreck um, was far more adventurous. Um, and because the Cornish coast is so vast, we could pack the, um, the, the Seacraft inflatable dinghy, fold it all up, and put all our diving gear in the back of our cars, and we could drive anywhere along the coast uh, and, and, and pitch up uh, in, in a little port or, or, or a beach where we thought there might be wrecks, um, and inflate the boat and get our kids up, and off we'd go looking for wrecks. And on this, this particular one, I was a bit excited about because one of my divers had dived on it before, Dick Trothowan in fact, and he said it was such a fantastic wreck that we'd have to go there again. So we went there one, one Sunday, we left early in the morning, and we got to Pothowstock near the Lizard. It's quite a drive, and we got there on, on a lovely day. The only problem was that uh, the sea was a bit choppy. So the idea was from Pothowstock to inflate the dinghy, get kitted up, and, and motor out quite a long way to the, one of the most infamous places for wrecks on the Cornish coast. It's called the Manacles of the Lizard, and it is a graveyard of shipwrecks, and I'm not exaggerating. And uh, in fact, there are so many wrecks there that uh, one never knows quite which wreck you could be diving on. So we steamed out through this, plowed through this sea, and uh, I remember the sea craft inflatable got full of water but we still kept going and we got out to where we thought we'd find the best wreck which was Dick Thown had dived before as I mentioned and she was called the Mohegan, the steamship Mohegan. A huge steamship which struck the Manacle Rocks um, uh, on, on route to the United States carrying immigrants hoping to start a new life in a new world in America and they ended up on the manacles and uh, in fact I've got a, a date here she, she sank around about 1898 she sank um, she stuck the rocks on the manacles by the way I've never been quite sure of this on some maps the rocks are marked the vases V-A-S-E-S and other, other maps see maps they, they're called the voices and uh, the story goes that uh, as she sank, as the Mohegan sank, she sank fairly slowly to begin with, and people were climbing up the rigging of the masts and shouting out for help to be rescued, hoping they'd be heard from the shore, and their voices could be heard across the sea. So they got the nickname, the voices of people who were about to, to drown, poor souls. A lot of people died on that wreck, women and children, all buried, I think, in St. Kevin Churchyard in a mass grave. So we got out to the Mohegan, dropped the small anchor, and uh, went right on top of it. And uh, we went, we dived in pairs. I did in this day dive with Bob Carswell. And uh, 
And Bob was a, a great diver. He was very competent. And I followed him down the, down the anchor rope. And he went straight into a huge mass of wreckage. It was absolutely immense, this ship. And it gave, us, it gave me a first glimpse of the idea, which had never occurred to me before, the strength of the sea. Because the girders of this wreck must have been, some of them, 18 inches um, wide. And they were tied in knots. Steel girders tied in knots. Can you imagine the strength of the sea breaking up a wreck and twisting girders like a piece of string? It was absolutely astonishing. She was huge, absolutely immense. So big we'd never get from stem to stern. And I remember seeing so many portals stuck in the in the sides of the steel plates and I was determined with my diving knife to dig one out but uh, on that particular day I worked so hard at it I I nearly wore myself out I couldn't get it out I half got it half out but couldn't get the trophy out but we were down to about 80 feet and uh, so we had limited time um, I think we did about 40 minutes max that depth and I think we were actually in, into decompression time but the visibility that day I remember was it was fantastic and one of the most fascinating things that I came across was the propeller it was absolutely huge lying flat on its side immense bronze propeller which was worth of course a lot of money if you could get it up and that's when my brain clicked into, into gear and I realized that there's money to be found on the bottom of the sea, which is what I got into later in my stories. So we dived on the Mohegan. It was not the only dive I had on the Mohegan, because she's so vast. We were searching amongst the wreckage for all sorts of trinkets we might find. We found some uh, some cups and saucers and plates, um, and all sorts of things. You never know what you're going to find when you're when you're diving in between in wreckage and plates on, on a ship which has been broken up. But she was immense, and I say it was not to be my only dive. I dived on her, I think, four or five times after that, because she was so fascinating. Um, Dick Trotham was pretty sure that was the Mohegan, because she, she actually went aground on the rocks in a very specific place. But, of course, other shipwrecks had, had wrecked, wrecked in the same area, so you couldn't always guarantee that you're diving on the same wreck, because there were so many wrecks. But uh, we did this on the Mohegan, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And it was my first, what you might call, reasonably deep dive. 80 feet was quite a way down. And uh, I remember it being distinctly cold that day, because with just basic wetsuits, the cold hits you. And, um, you know, I think uh, that was my first experience of feeling really cold under the sea. So that was the Mohegan, which I say I will dive on much later, but I won't give you the same story again but it's basically we were still searching for trying to get uh, portals because that was a good trophy to get and because you could name the ship now that this portal came from the SS Mohegan which sank in 1898 off the lizard on the manacles and I've got one from from the Mohegan and of course that would have been a real a real treasure to have so that was my second dive my second great adventure on a shipwreck diving with the Penzance Tobacco Club. Join me in the next episode 
where we will explore more of the local wrecks I dived on with the Penzance Sub Club.